Welcome to the Control the Room podcast, a series devoted to the exploration of meeting culture and uncovering cures for the common meeting. Some meetings have tight control and others are loose. To control the room means achieving outcomes while striking a balance between imposing and removing structure, asserting and distributing power, leaning in and leaning out, all in the service of having a truly magical meeting. Today, I'm with Alexandra Jamison, co-producer and co-star of Supersize Me. Today, we're here to talk about her fifth book that's upcoming, will be released in August, called Radical Alignment. Welcome to the show, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me. So for starters, I'd love to hear about how you got started in the work you do. It's been a long and tangled road to to be an author and a coach. I've I've been an author and a coach for over a decade. As you said, this is my fifth book. And I I really started in the health and wellness world. And we were about the same age when when you and I both discovered we had these massive health issues in our mid-20s and that food was the answer. So I I dove deep. I'm a a two-feet-in kind of person. I discovered food as healing, food as medicine, went to culinary school, became a vegan chef, did catering, etc. And right around that time, I met my now ex, but we made the movie Supersize Me together. He ate nothing but McDonald's for a month, for anybody who remembers that. He got really sick, and I put him on my vegan detox plan afterwards to like clean up his liver, his high cholesterol, all the stuff that happened to him so quickly from eating terrible fast food all the time. And I was also a budding health coach. You know, I was working with people one-on-one to help them figure out their nutritional needs, but also their emotional eating life. So it was, you know, a, a very interesting mix of, of coaching techniques that I was bringing to people. But after being vegan for a decade, I also I started to get really sick again. I was chronically anemic. I had all these health concerns, and I... I really tried everything in the vegan framework to fix it, but it turns out I am one of those people that has to eat things like chicken liver and organ meat. That's the only way my body can absorb iron. So I had this kind of infamous coming out as no longer vegan that went viral. You know, we all want our stuff to go viral, Doug, but this, I really didn't want anybody to see it. I was like, I just have to be honest. But I had written three vegan cookbooks at this point, so it was... A bit of a shift, you could say, and it was um, it really blew up in first a very kind of over the top extreme way, like people wishing me death, losing friends because I wasn't vegan anymore, and it also led to my fourth book called Women, Food, and Desire, which was this real examination of women's cravings and our relationship with our bodies, and around that time. I was now I was now getting divorced from Super Size Me husband, and I met Bob, my new husband. I stepped it up, upgraded a little bit, and Bob came from this design and agile consulting facilitation world, and I had been in the coaching world for just over ten years at that point, and we began to realize as as our relationship grew that we were talking about a lot of the same things. Even though I was doing kind of life coaching, health coaching, he was doing like real, like solid business design kind of consulting. 
it's like we're using a lot of the same tools to help people figure out what they want, what they need, what the challenges are, and move forward. So that's kind of the 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 seed that led to this book that has some really powerful tools at the heart of it. That's amazing. I echo that similar sentiment in my journey at Voltage Control, just as a facilitator, not wanting to just be too dogmatic or, or, or aligned with one specific discipline. And the more I sought out and the more I learned in all these different silos that there's a, a, quite a bit that's common, but there's some stuff that people were doing a little differently. And when you combine those things together, you can get this real awesome emergent qualities that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I'm curious, can you tell a story or is there a tool in particular that when you think about the fact that you, you came together, that the, the, like the sums greater than the, you know, the, the combining of the parts per se? By the request of some of our friends, we actually led a couple of couples workshops and I'll be honest, it was usually the women like dragging their boyfriends or husbands to come to these workshops. And we realized they were there for, for very different reasons. You know, one person wanted one experience and one person was there for a completely different reason. And so Bob had this kind of tool from his past life. I think he was also like a newspaper design director. Anyway, he said, you know what? We'll need to get on the same page. We need to get into alignment. And we started teaching this very simple conversation tool to get like to put all the information out on the table. Why are you here? What do you want? What are you worried about? Etc. And after a couple of workshops, we realized like nothing else from those workshops really took off. But this one simple conversation structure that we taught, people kept texting us and emailing us and saying, what was that four-step thing that you took us through again? Because I have this other conversation that I need to have. So over the course of the next two years, people kept bugging us for this thing. We were a little slow on the uptake. I'm like, all right, let's just put this in a Google Doc because then we can stop explaining it to everybody and we can just say, here it is, here it is, here it is. But we kept getting these incredible stories from our friends who were using it that it was helping them in their marriage, that it was helping them with negotiations at work, that they were using it, like Bob was using it, teaching it in these high-level CEO boardroom kind of situations. And then the CEO would say like, that was amazing. I'm taking that home to my husband. And we're going to use that conversation at home. So we're like, oh my goodness, this one little thing. Sometimes it's just the this, this tiny thing that people keep asking for. We didn't even see how valuable it was. And that's the genesis of this whole project, this book. So what are these four steps? You've got me very curious. <laughs> so it's a really simple guided conversation that helps two or more people get really clear and develop just a deeper understanding of or appreciation for each other. It really creates team psychological safety. And there's some very specific things about that in terms of how you run it, right? You're, you're the facilitator guy, so you totally get it, right? There's some ground rules that you got to set up. You got to set the stage. And, you know, one thing is I always tell people, like, first, never say to someone, we need to talk. That's like the wrong way <laughs> 
to introduce any kind of conversation. That'll ruin the rest of my day. All I can think about is like, what are we talking about? Like, what's oh all the what things? <laughs> so think about how you want to invite someone to a conversation or a meeting. Have a comfortable, distraction-free place. And believe me, we use this in business and in our personal lives. So we're very clear to make sure everybody is well-rested. We, we do not do meetings at the end of the day. We just don't. Um, make sure you're fed. Make sure no one has had even one glass of alcohol. Like Those are three very basic things because we are human animals. Our, our bodies are very much aligned with our brains. And if we're not fed, if we've had even a little booze, and if we're exhausted, we're not going to be present or clear. So think about those things before you get into an important conversation. And then get clear about what the point is. Like, what are we talking about and why? And just very specific. Okay, we're going to talk about Project X so we can become a great team. Or we're discussing our summer vacation so that we can both have a wonderful time. Like that level of clarity. And then you go into the conversation. And a minute ago, I said, team psychological safety. And one of the things that we've learned in all of our practice and all of our research is that there's a real inequality of power in most rooms, right? There's somebody who's got the power and there's somebody and there's, and there's extroverts and introverts. So we actually request that you time everyone, that everybody gets two or four minutes per share so that it is very equal. And some people have funny and in Bob and my relationship he's an incredible verbal processor like he talks it out and gets clear and I actually need to sit and be quiet for up to 15 seconds sometimes to know what I'm going to say but when you have a timer and no one else is speaking there's no crosstalk you it's like okay I've got this space where I can just relax and think about what it is that I need to say so give each person the same amount of time. That is true equality. And then you go into the four-part conversation. So that's all, the, that's all the setup. And you each share your intentions, concerns, boundaries, and dreams. And you can think of intentions of, you know, why do you want to be a part of this project? Why... Why can this project support your personal values or your goals? You know, what led you to get involved in this? So what are your intentions in being a part of this? And it can be super simple, like, um, you know, I want to have fun. I want to learn something and I want to make money. And again, you all go around, you all share the same amount of time. And then you go into your concerns. And this is where we encourage you to start being very vulnerable in the, you know, in the spirit of like, let's really try to discover who we are. And luckily, the human brain is incredibly good at coming up with fears and worries and concerns. In fact, it's probably the best thing that our brains are good at. And let's tap into it. Let's tap into that negativity bias that we have. Because actually, when you say your worries and concerns out loud, in a safe space, and let's like let's really set up these conversations. Like, 
I want to know what you really think. You're not going to get penalized for this. Let's not take anything personally in this room. When you say it out loud, your brain hears it and it actually has the effect of calming down your amygdala. Your nervous system can chill out a bit. And that way you can actually get clear and calm, which which leads to better decision-making by the end of it. Well, there's a lot there to unpack. Not only the setting, one big one is setting the initial conditions. You know, you talked a lot about, you know, being well-fed, no no alcohol, comfortable space. The invitation, I think, is so critical. And I love that you use that word. Liberating Structures talks a lot about, you know, crafting a really good invitation. And I think there's some real beauty in that word because it's not that we're telling you what to do. We're inviting you in. It's very open. And also, I love that this notion of starting with gratitude and appreciation Kudos for for that because it's there's some really great design elements at play in, in that activity. And when you think about the components that that kind of came into this, how did you end up developing that? What did you draw inspiration from? Was it just like you just sat down and and like it just kind of came to you, or was it was there a process to kind of develop it and refine it? So you know, Bob and I had been through so many trainings and coaching programs over the years before we even came together as a couple, when we started teaching these couples workshops, there was the seed of it. You know, it was like, okay, why are we here? And what challenges could we have in getting to what you want? You know, those kind of, I mean, those seem like pretty basic questions, but it took some time using it and then teaching it in other settings, in boardrooms and with my clients, et cetera, that we're like, oh, it needs to be this order, intentions, concerns, boundaries, and end on dreams. It took a little time to figure out the kind of the magical recipe, right? Like you don't want to, you don't want to add the salt at the end of a recipe. Like it's got to go in at the beginning so that it can spread throughout. So it really it really became clear through doing it what the order needed to be. I love that you say that because we're, we're big believers that facilitation requires practice and you have to develop those skills and you have to get comfortable. And a lot of it has to do with confidence. And, you know, it's similar to a musician that's improving, right? Like you, you had to get so comfortable with your instrument that you can perform in a very rigid style but then you're able to then let go and kind of flow with the moment and find what lands. Can you tell any stories about some of the formulas that you tried that just didn't work out and why and like what the lessons to learn from that would be? I actually, I want to go back to what you just said about playing an instrument. We really describe this four-part structure. We're like, this is playing scales. You know, every great musician still practices their scales you go, da, 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 right? We do one, two, three, four. And then eventually you can improvise. You know, we're now so practiced with it. We'll just, you know, let's say we had a conversation two weeks ago about visiting the in-laws. And now one of us comes up with, oh, you know what? I have a new boundary, right? We can just like drop into that conversation at point C instead of point A again, so we have this shared vocabulary where we're still, we're kind of always in the conversation about different topics. And um, I just, what's really, really helpful, I'll tell you, 
what my life was like before I learned how to have tough conversations using this structure was I just didn't have tough conversations. I just avoided hard topics. This has given me a sense of, like you said, you have to become confident as a facilitator. I just become confident. Okay, I have four buckets to put all my thoughts and feelings in. And now I know that like the science to a good conversation is coming back to the topic, not letting it get off and crazy. I think that's one of the reasons why I avoided emotional or high stakes conversations, because I thought I'm going to have to prove everything I believe is right and have logical arguments for everything. And somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose with this structure. It's like, no, we're just like an information gathering zone. And we develop empathy for each other through it, which is so important. That's like the sweet spot of alignment. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I was thinking a bit about this notion of being afraid to have some of those conversations. And maybe it's not like a people here might hear that and think, oh, I'm, I'm daunted by all this fear, but sometimes it's just subconscious, right? Sometimes we don't even entertain the thought because, because our brains are protecting us from, from that thing that we're deeply fearful of or, or just avoidant of. And I recently saw some really awesome facilitation guides. It was a guide, but it contained some prompts. And it was written by D'Angelo, who is the author of White Fragility. And these prompts were for basically starting conversations that are hard to start. And she called them silence breakers. And as you talked about being more equipped to have these conversations now, it got me really excited. It reminded me of these, this notion of silence breakers. And I think it's, it's really important. And it's amazing to hear that your work is hit it in that same direction. So as folks start to think about being able to open up in this way or what that experience is like, what, what should they consider or how should they, you know, what, what are some things that they need to keep in mind? I'm so glad you asked that. So we, we covered intentions and concerns, the first two steps. The third one is boundaries. And that is a very challenging topic for people to come up with answers for. What are my boundaries? And it's not like ordering off a menu where you're, I'm going to say something and it's a demand of this is what you're going to do for me or this is what I must have. Think of it like, what are the, the things I need, the conditions that help me show up to be my best? What are the ways, think of them as starter boundaries, right? Take the pressure off of things to be perfect. Think of it as, you know, what do you need to be your personal best? What will help keep us from reaching burnout? What rules or standards help us work together best? Um, you know, one of the things we've discovered, and I cannot believe it took me until my 40s to realize this, but do not start an important conversation at bedtime. Like, don't. Just don't. It's okay to go to bed angry or unclear, truly. Like, that has been a game changer in my marriage. And I see, I've seen it happen in the workplace, too. People are like, we have to figure this out today. We're staying until it's done. Actually, Everybody's exhausted and nobody's going to show up and be their best right now. So it's okay for us to take a break 
and for us to honor the exhaustion that's present. Yeah, I love this notion of boundaries. I'm a big fan of, of compartmentalization. So how, can what is the right way to like where do we put this thought and like how to and, and like what's important right now in this moment and and like if we can constrain things and really just kind of neatly package them up then we can better be in service of the work that we're doing and maybe we need to put some things aside maybe some things are off limits that's really really awesome but the 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 thing that I I'm curious about is um, just to get your reaction to this idea of honoring yourself and authentic relating they have this notion of this this like uh, ground rule of honoring yourself so if someone asks something of you because this, this is very deeply relating kind of work that they're doing and so someone could ask you a very personal question because we're we're trying to build connection right and so there's this notion of if you don't feel comfortable then you know just pass um, and so only only contribute at the level that you feel comfortable contributing. Uh, I think there's some beauty in that. And it's um, similar to this being gracious with each other. Well, there's two things that you're reminding me of that I think are so important. And generally in the room, like if there is a, a designated leader and in a work situation, that might be more obvious, right? Like the team leader or the C-suite level person. But in our relationship, perhaps the leader could be considered the person who's bringing this topic up, right? So they're leading the initial situation. That person, we realize they need to be the most brave. They need to be the most courageous and the most vulnerable. Like they need to set the tone for like, I am going to be super vulnerable here. I am really going to share my heart and my truth here. So that everybody else is like, oh, wow. Like, okay, like this person has been really vulnerable. I'm going to, I'm going to maybe go an inch further and in sharing my truth now. So that's one aspect. But the other one is we really encourage, and this is something I do personally all the time. I go through these four steps by myself and I write out my thoughts and we will often, you know, I've definitely coached my clients to do this. We've even done it as a couple, even though we've used this hundreds of times now. We will like, okay, you know what, tomorrow we're going to talk about this topic to give ourselves some time to think about our intentions, concerns, boundaries, and dreams before we meet so that we just have some time to gather our thoughts and maybe be more coherent in how we express ourselves. And that is very compassionate and very thoughtful because not everyone is a verbal processor. Some people need to write it out or take a walk and think about it first. Why not give people a little more time if you're able to? Absolutely. And we often think about multi-sensory experiences because it's kind of a myth that some people are visual learners and some people are auditory learners. The fact of the matter is we all learn through many different forms and, and in any given moment, we may be more attuned to a different style and we kind of need it all. And so if we're going to, if we as workshop facilitators and designers want the best out of our participants, we need to, we need to consider those things. So I think that's uh, that's really fantastic. And we, we've even been asking people to do that silent solo work as part of the workshop. Cause frankly, people are 
jam-packed schedules and are super busy so the pre-work rarely gets done so just to be in service of those people like you say that are slower or, or need more reflection time just bake it in and the people that don't need it well they'll they'll be fine yeah <laughs> you can doodle yes exactly. doodle while the rest of us right that's right <laughs> So I, I wanted to come back to this comment you made about being authentic. And I think it might have been in the pre-show chatter, but when you brought it up, it was around this notion of, you know, you had this this strong pull to be true to the brand you had built and true to this identity that was out in the world and being authentic to your body, to your DNA, to your cellular, like everything that was like, physical about your situation was screaming that you needed to behave in a certain way. If you were going to be authentic to that, you had to leave some other stuff behind. In fact, you know, potentially friends and, and it couldn't have impact on livelihood. And, you know, that must've been a really challenging moment. And if I really compare it to, to some of the challenges other people face, like it, it kind of trivializes some of these situations people find themselves in yet they can't be authentic. And I think it's just, May you be a beacon to those that are in meetings and not being authentic because the best way to get to where you want to go and to build strong teams is to be authentic. Sure, you can be a role model in the work that you've already done, but are there any tactics or things people can think about as to how how they can really tap into what it means to be authentic for them? And I can't understress how, and, and this is true for me in my life. You know, I'm I am myself, and you may have a very different, unique experience, but when I feel I am living inauthentically, I am just incapable of being happy. You know, when I was, there was a year and a half where I was hiding that I was eating meat. My business was suffering. My energy was suffering. Everything about my life felt frustrating. And... I would rather blow up my life <laughs> by being really honest and not honest in a way like, I'm going to tell you what I really think about you. No, like me being honest to myself, I would rather have to deal with the repercussions of that. But I tell you how I've been able to, I mean, since I met Bob and since we've been using this format of communication, I feel so incredibly safe and held because we are both in this radical honesty together where it's very clear, like we're allowed to evolve and change. And we have a structure that's going to hold us as we evolve and change together and as individuals. I didn't have that in my first marriage. And I witnessed that many people don't feel safe to evolve and change and be themselves. So if you can't change with the people around you, I don't know that you are allowing yourself to change. Yeah, that's interesting because I think that applies deeply with inside teams too, especially as we find ourselves in more and more complex situations. You know, we're not in the days of the factory where things are repeatable and the same widgets coming down the the assembly line every day, one day after the other, where we can just follow a recipe. And, and so the change is itself is changing and teams have to be able to adapt. And I think willingness to reinvent the team and be different tomorrow than we were yesterday is really important. And the last step of the four-part conversation is probably the most important, and it definitely needs to happen at the end. 
which is you share your dreams. And this is very specific. Like, if this goes incredibly well, what will be true for you as an individual, for us as a team, for the people impacted around us? How will you feel? What will have shifted? Like, you really get into best case scenario imagination land and you start to feel the oxytocin flowing, (laughs) the connection. And when I hear from you what your dreams are and I really feel you connected to that, it's almost impossible for me to not want that for you too. And it really, even if there are concerns and boundaries which seem to be in conflict and you, you know that you've got some figuring out to do after this conversation. The dreams brings you all back together. Okay, how can we work together to make this work? It's really foundational. I'm going to switch gears a little bit though. Food's been a pretty, pretty core part of your life. And it's hard to do work. It's hard to meet as a team without, without eating, without having food. And when we met in person, when we had workshops in real life, we had to think about, well, what's for lunch and how we're going to, what the, what's the catering? What are we going to order? And that's not as much of a concern anymore. And in fact, I've, I've seen some jokes around the internet. I think it was a lady, her husband was attending a virtual conference. And so she prepared a bunch of horrible food for his virtual conference experience. So, you know, like soggy wraps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dry chicken, soggy really wraps, um, some, <laughs> some pudding and a, and a little cocktail dish. But all joking aside, what is your recommendation as a health coach for teams that are wanting to think about what's, what is a great workshop diet? Like what should they be thinking about eating when they're wanting to concentrate more, to, to work together, um, stay focused? I am so glad you brought this up. Like, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. (laughs) No conference cookies. Like, just keep the sugar out of it. Seriously. It does not help in the long run. Everybody crashes. Fruit, for sure. Like, have some of those natural sugars. Have some, like, in-season, good quality fruits. Variety of things. Like, people do need a little bit of sugar, but if you eat two cookies, you know half an hour, hour from now, you're worthless. You know, as a diabetic, I've, I've had to, you know, dive into a lot of this stuff. And, the, you know, the, the thing that really clicked for me, it's okay if you have a little sugar. It's okay if you have some fat. But when you mix fat and sugar, that's doing a major whammy on you. And I think that's where desserts really kill us. And it's like, if you're eating fruit, it's literally no fat. And and it has fiber, which is good. It's going to slow down absorption. But man, that the, the fat actually like hijacks your system and you absorb the sugar slower, but it like, it really hits you, hits you harder on, on the end because it, it's your body can't pull it down as fast because it really stays with you a lot longer. And just like, I mean, it really does a number on you. And that's where the cookies are different than, than the fruit. Yeah, so I, I recommend like get the sodas out of the room, like have iced tea, ice, like caffeine, I think is the drug that we all like got to keep in the room <laughs> in some form, but have it be like unsweetened stuff if at all possible and, and have like high protein stuff, you know, have good quality meats and veggies, um, you know, keep, keep the sugar as much out of the room as possible. And the other side of it is it's not just about the food that we eat. You've got to include movement breaks regularly. Do not make people sit for an hour even 
like do some kind of a, all right, everybody's going to stand up and we're going to stretch at the 30 minute mark. It really, it, it releases BDNF in the brain, brain derived neurotropic factor. It's like miracle grow for your brain. It really gets you back up, do a little bit of breathing exercises. Like that's as important as what you eat. Yeah, I love that. And we love the stretch and share fun activity. And, and especially in the virtual space, because cadence and turn taking can be strange and foreign and you can't just go around the circle. So yeah, getting out of the chair and, you know, as a facilitator, I think it's really important to really model that behavior and encourage it and make sure that people know that, man, this is serious stuff. Uh, Zoom fatigue and, and other other things. It's not only the, you talked about the benefits of getting the movement so that we're, it's improving our thinking and that we're coming up with better ideas, but there's actually a, a negative consequence of not doing some of this stuff. Making sure people don't just use the breaks as an opportunity just to alt tab over their email and just mm-hmm. <laughs> start doing more tech <laughs> exactly. stuff. You know? yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about differentiated learning and just to hear a little bit about the work that you're doing around supporting folks that might have different needs. And so when you're working through some of this alignment stuff, do you ever run into situations where maybe someone's struggling with like concerns or boundaries and how do you help those individuals that just maybe need a little something different than, than the rest of the group? That's a really great question. And I can actually bring an example from my 13 year old son who you know, he has dyslexia and ADHD, so he thinks differently than I do. His brain just works differently. And I find that breaking it up into actually two or three versions of the same conversation over the space of a couple days, like I pre-set the scene day one, like, hey, look, we need to talk about, the, like we just did it today, <laughs> we need to talk about going back to school in the fall because we don't know what schools are going to look like here in New York city. There's all kinds of ideas and nobody knows what's up. (laughs) And we know there's a couple of options on the table. So here's what I know so far. Do you have any concerns or questions about that before we talk about it in a couple days with your dad, just to like drop it in there and ask him the open-ended question so that in the background, it's running. His brain can like be prepared to think about it in a day or two. I love that. That's like I always talk about the best, um, the best workshop homework is like where they don't really have to do anything, but they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because if you if it's just enough to plant the seed in their subconscious, they're going to be able to participate more deeply when the time comes. Versus like giving them a bunch of busy work or having them go do things that require like present hands-on stuff, which no everyone, no one does. Yeah, yeah. I've learned so much from being his mom and helping him learn to think and, and me understanding how he thinks. And, you know, I've, I've been working with women as a success and life coach for over 10 years and 10 years as a health coach before that. And I just realized that different people need different versions of the same question. Actually, in the book, Radical Alignment, we give like dozens of options for different scenarios. Like we talk about how people have used the four, we call it the all-in method. Those four steps are the all-in method. People have used it to plan their weddings. 
like huge multi-continent weddings have been, have been planned with this. But people also use it for their design teams and they use it in HR and they use it at home. So through the book, like there's just dozens of ways to ask the same question depending on your circumstances. So be willing to be flexible and curious. Like, What's another way I could ask this? Wow, I, I love this notion of like, what is another way I can ask this? And I think the hallmark of a great listener, a great conversation is fantastic questions. So what are some of your favorite questions? I actually really love the, the dreams questions. What are you doing? And what would be the most amazing outcome for this? Like, I don't think we often get the opportunity to really dream big and share it out loud in a way where we're not going to get shot down for like, oh, you Pollyanna or you're crazy. You know, I'm also an artist. I come from a family of artists. And it's kind of a miracle that any of us became artists, considering this culture we live in that is so down on artists. Like, oh, you better have a backup plan or you're going to be a starving artist. You know, those ideas just get woven into the culture. So I love the invitation to say, like, what would you like for radical alignment to happen when it publishes? I'm like, I would love it to be a New York Times bestseller. I want this in every middle school in America. I want every eighth grader learning how to have tough conversations in a way where they feel capable. Like, that is my dream. <laughs> absolutely my dream. That's phenomenal. So good. And let's talk a little bit about one of my favorite questions is if you could make meetings better any any average meeting because as you know i'm on a mission to rid the world of horrible meetings and god bless you if you were to do one thing or just change one thing about meetings what would it be for people to feel really safe to be themselves i think people are dying for an opportunity to really be safe to be themselves and be accepted i mean that's the bottom line so I'd love to end with a message to the listener. So if there's anything that you'd want to leave them with, what might it be? I want to invite you to try to bring structure to your conversation. I know like I I know I sound a little over the top, but this has truly changed so much about my life. It has changed decades old family dysfunction and it has changed my my work and how successful my business is like bring this structure to try it try this four-part conversation try it a few times it has absolutely changed my life my friend's life the woman who wrote the foreword she will inspire the heck out of you and an entrepreneur who's a mom of five she's like this saved my marriage like that's a great testimonial for this book Bring a little structure to your conversations, a little bit more professional structure to your intimate conversations, and a little bit more vulnerable intimacy to your professional conversations. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today and hearing about your, your approach and your structure. I'm a huge fan of structure, and this falls right in with the work we do and, and what I love to talk about. So it was a tremendous pleasure chatting with you today. and. One last piece of house cleaning. How can folks find you? How can they get the book? I know it's not quite out yet. Give us a little bit to go on. 
We would love people to go pre-order the book, actually. You can go to RadicalAlignmentBook.com. Listen, if you buy like one or a couple copies and you just give us your little order number on the website, you get a free workshop with us. If you get 10 or more copies of the book, you get an eight-week training with me and my husband. So go to RadicalAlignmentBook.com, order the books there from wherever you love to get books. And we like we are going to help you use this in your life and in your business beautifully. Excellent. And Amazon.com, other other suppliers as well. Amazon, Kindle, Audible, your local independent bookstore. You can order it all through radicalalignmentbook.com. Radicalalignmentbook.com. So incredible. And I wish you the best of luck. I hope you do make that New York Times bestseller list. And again, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Control the Room. Don't forget to subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are released. And if you want more, head over to our blog where I post weekly articles and resources about working better together. VoltageControl.com.